Hey everybody, and welcome to Retromania and Kicking Out at Two presents Marking Out the Days, a podcast where we romanticize, fantasize, watch, and review your favorite or not-so-favorite storylines, matches, events, and or feuds from your pro wrestling past on a specific day. Today's date is January 3rd. I'm your host, Kobe Nida, and as always, I'm joined by... Dave Rosenbluth, Kicking Out at Two's Dave Rosenbluth. What's happening, man? Yes, indeed. Uh, man, just kicking back. Um, not going to break kayfabe too much, but, you know, feels like we just got done doing an episode. Um. <laughs> A very long one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, nonetheless, we're here January 3rd, post-Christmas, post-New Year, 2019. Yes, yes we are, and uh, it is definitely a, a new year, uh, you know, personally as well as in a, in a professional wrestling sense, and uh, I must have done a good job that first episode if you called me back for round two, so uh, you know, <laughs> let's, uh, let's get into the, uh, the, the heart of the matter, the meat and potatoes of January the 3rd in professional yeah, wrestling history. It. Let's do it. Uh, we got any birthdays to celebrate? We do. We do, as a matter of fact. A, uh, a certain Oklahomian, uh, I, I don't even think that's a word, but uh, you know, I apologize for those of you in Oklahoma who are listening to this and uh, are highly... Okies. Yeah, Okies. Okay, maybe that's better. That, that might be more uh, uh, appropriate, and I apologize. No disrespect intended. Uh, they're, probably, they're probably thinking, that fucking Yankee up there in the Northeast is, is uh, you know, Dis- disrespecting my disrespecting my namesake, but uh, no, uh, good old Jr. Jim Ross, Boomer Sooner, Boomer Sooner, is Boomer. Uh, is celebrating a birthday today. Happy birthday, 67. Jim Ross, good old Jr. Jim Ross, uh, and I'm sure you would agree, Kobe. Universally, the greatest play-by-play man in the history of professional wrestling. Uh, what are you talking about? You're not a fan of, um, of Mongo McMichael? Mongo McMichael? Oh my goodness. I'm kidding. Wow. <laughs> I'm kidding. Of course, Jim Ross is the voice of wrestling. I mean, a guy that started in Mid-South all the way to Jim Crockett, then we go to WWF, then we go to WCW. Uh, I mean, and then later, you know, joining New Japan and Access and, uh, help voicing some of the future stars of wrestling. Yeah, I you mean, know, he's uh, calling some of those matches. Yeah, no, he's he's done it all, and um, I, I look at him as like the the to us like the, to try and familiarize you know sports fans that are also wrestling fans. He's like the the Bob Costas or the Al Michaels of. Mm-hmm. Um, of professional wrestling. I think I always look at Mean Gene as like the Howard Cosell of professional wrestling. Yeah. Um, but JR is like the Al Michaels. You know, Al Michaels has had some unbelievable calls over the years in professional sports, especially in football. JR obviously having some, uh, you know, being tied to and associated with some memorable calls uh, in professional wrestling history. Uh, little full disclosure here one of my favorite calls by JR. Um, Everyone's talked about the, you know, good God Almighty, they killed him. Uh, they killed the, him. With the, with that the, man's got a family. <laughs> with, with, with the, you know, the Mick Foley off the hell in the cell. But one of my favorites, I, I like when Jr. like gets mad and it sounds funny, like like when he gets pissed off, you know, like when. Yeah. Uh, well, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but one of my favorites was um, 
Actually, I got two of them. The, in 1998, when the New Age Outlaws dumped Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie <laughs> off the stage in the dumpsters, like, <laughs> JR screaming is like, Don't you dare do that! There's people in there! What the hell is so great about that? <laughs> and... <laughs> I, I I just thought that was Love like it. the funny. There's people in there. <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. I'm, de- I'm then, definitely gonna have to splice that in. Oh man, that was awesome. And then there was um, the the call he made at the. Um, well, no. If if you want to hear good like funny Jr. commentary, watch WrestleMania 19 with him and Jerry the King Lawler. Um, throughout mm-hmm. the whole night, he's him and Lawler are going back and forth. They sound like two kids, and Lawler's just like antagonizing him, and Jr.'s getting even more pissed. That's like one of my favorite shows to watch, just on the commentary alone. But um, oh, another yeah. one of my favorite calls is uh, when Shawn Michaels had that comeback match with Triple H, which, by the way, mm-hmm. I cover mm-hmm. that match in detail in great length on one of the early episodes of kicking out or two over at soundcloud.com it's in the my favorites section uh where my buddy chris donovan and i we cover triple h Shawn michaels from SummerSlam 2002 it's a little bit of a build-up of their rivalry and then we do a watch along of that match so you can go check that out in the archives over at soundcloud.com kicking out or two cheap plug for me mr rosenbluth this week but uh nonetheless um the, uh, the the call from that match was at the end, was when Hunter uh, nailed Sean with the sledgehammer in the back of the head, and Hunter's walking away and he's laughing and he's bloody, and Jr. is like, "Do you have no ho- no no?" He goes, "He goes, do you have no heart? Do you have no soul? You son of a bitch!" And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's awesome. I mean, just the cadence in his voice, the way he sit, pronounces mm-hmm. words, like the 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 fine details of his commentary, oh, yeah. just truly like unbelievable like that's what makes him the best of all time yep i think uh and it kind of goes into our episode here later when we start to cover raw but uh one of his greatest heels to call was triple h yes um you know uh, with triple h doing the devious tactics and uh you know uh, screwing over mick foley all the time and um just everything that they did yeah, uh, shitting on everybody. He his response to Triple H made it even even better. You know, oh yeah. Um, it it just gave us that reaction, and he worked well with different counterparts. Like like you spoke of, him and Jerry could rip it up um, pretty good. But him and Paul Heyman, that banter going back and forth between those guys, I love when they would call stuff together. Yeah, I think um, I think that gets over that 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 pairing gets overlooked because Heyman came right after Lawler and Lawler mm-hmm. and him really established themselves as like the voice of the World Wrestling Federation. Like they really like put themselves up there with, you know, the Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan's and the Jesse Venturas and then Vince McMahon's and, you yep. know, even the Vince and, the, and Jerry Lawler's. But, you know, Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler together, you know, that was the, 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 the soundtrack of our of our teenage years during the Attitude Era, but I, I like you, enjoyed uh, Jr. and Heyman because it brought something a little bit different, and uh, I was... Again, uh, it's that response from Jr. the passion, the emotion yes. of him arguing with yes. somebody, or, 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 well, how can you think that way, damn it? Oh, yeah. You know, he's trying to bring reason for us. Um, yeah, it's awesome. Just love me some good old Jr. Um, his later days have not... <laughs> It's hard to keep up with the product, and I can only I can only imagine trying to remember names like Shibata, Toriyano, Kazuchika Okada, Tetsuya Naito, you know, and trying to figure, remember, keep up with who's who. 
<laughs> being 65. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you watched. Uh, I know you're a an avid New Japan follower, and I watch as much mm-hmm. as I can. But um, when they did that first show in the United States in Long Beach, I think that was the that like that two night um, tournament yeah. for the U.S. title G one G one Supercard. Yeah. The it, oh, was the G one Supercard when the, when it Omega a, it, when Omega won the U.S. title? Yeah, that was the first G one Supercard that they did in America. It's it wasn't the G one. Climax. It was a super, you know, it was their, uh, oh, okay. you know, preview show for it. Oh, okay. so yeah, they did the U.S. title tournament and Omega. Came yeah, away and with like the, the internet, yeah. like totally demolished Jr. because he like spelled, you know, he, he mispronounced someone's name. Like I think even the Young Bucks made a comment about like, you know, if you're doing the commentary, at least know who you're calling. But like, Jr.'s always been known to like mis mispronounce names or even get guys right. mixed up he's called edge christian and christian and edge or mm-hmm. he's always called matt hardy jeff hardy and vice versa like it, because he didn't say marty scroll's name properly and i'm probably not saying it myself and i'm sure i'll get lynched oh, for it, it but whoever and you know it took me you, a minute you know? to get the scroll too yeah but like they totally like lynched him online i was like jesus christ like you know the, the the other problem with New Japan too is not to go off topic here a little bit, but the 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 sequencing of when they like tape shows and mm-hmm. JR is in studio basically just looking at footage and calling the action that New Japan sends to Access TV. So right. you know he he's not necessarily keeping up with all the storylines maybe he should do a better job of that i don't know but like you know last time i checked like he does a great job calling the action and telling the story and and relaying and trying to make you relate to that story that's being told in the ring so i mean i don't know i just felt like he I got agree. a little unfair criticism uh when i he agree that his show. age just shows a little bit um, yeah. but that that's what happens when you're exposed like that and you're leaving someone exposed like that yeah but d- to to counterpoint, uh, Kevin Kelly is doing a fucking fantastic job in New Japan right now. He's doing so much coverage. They're doing short little videos on New Japan English uh, YouTube page where they're like previewing the factions. They're telling you the history of the factions of Chaos, Bullet Club, and how, they, how they've how they come to this this story, this part of the story in, in Wrestle King, Kingdom 13 that's coming up. Um, so I, 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 they're doing a fantastic job, and Kevin Kelly covers the matches so well and tells you the story and gives you history of every guy during their matches it's awesome yeah yeah no, can't, I, I've, can't, I've heard can't say stuff. a good can't say enough good stuff about it yeah no i've heard i've heard he's done a, a fantastic job i've i've watched him on uh, ring of honor with uh, steve carino and eventually mm-hmm. uh i believe he paired up with uh, bj whitmer at one point but um yeah yep. jim ross man greatest of all time like so many great calls like you could do like a like honestly like if 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 JR and the WWE could come to some sort of an agreement, if they were to do like sound bites that you can sell on iTunes and turn them into like <laughs> ringtones or text tones or things like that. So if like right. if you sent me a text that said, you know, by God, he's killed him. And then I know like, oh, well, Kobe just texted me because by God, right. he just killed him. You know what I mean? Like, they could make, so, you know how many wrestling fans? I mean, he's so, oh, his yeah. calls are so legendary today that they take those 
audio bites and they put them in like replays and clips and, and like uh, professional sports and all kinds exactly. of videos on, on YouTube and social media. It's wild. Like I don't remember ever exactly. seeing like Gordon Soley getting a fucking section on YouTube for seeing a bunch yeah. of kids doing some stupid skateboard challenge and falling on their face. You know what I mean? Or, so that, or that, um or Michael uh who's the guy from Jim Crockett? Wrestling fans Um the, the, oh, the ring announcer or the yes the, yes I forget his name but he yeah had like none, a deep, he had like a deep voice he, he could wrestling say like, fans he's like yeah. the American dream Dusty Rhodes like he yeah. could like he had like that real deep voice I know who you're talking in fact Shivani just mentioned him on his podcast recently <laughs> I forget his I'm name I'll have to look him up but nonetheless like you say Jim Ross is in the lexicon of like our culture our meme culture right now uh, you know, people are play, playing the videos and they have Jim Ross calling the, the spots. Yeah. There was like <laughs> and a... people know who he is without knowing who he is. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was, a, was there a football game recently with the Falcons and the Panthers and the punter, like, did, like, a big boss man spine buster. And, like, yep. like they 30 seconds later, it's all over social media with JR's call. Like, you know, <laughs> like, it was, yep. it's, it's wild. It really is. It goes to show, like, like how how much he's had an effect not only just on wrestling fans but on pop culture in and of itself which is pretty cool agreed and he recently was on a uh, college game calling a couple of his patented hits they asked if he could do a couple highlight reels and he did them oh my god he got him you oh, know no kidding. a couple of that, that that's a slobber knocker they he just <laughs> you know put, rolled out the greatest hits but uh that was it but it was nice to see him back in action uh yeah so jim ross happy birthday yeah, yeah, Jr. Good old Jr. Man, enjoy enjoy your day. I mean, he's had a rough couple of years. These last few years, his wife passing away, and that yep. that accident, and uh, yep. you know he, he made some he made some calls with WWE uh, last few years. He's been doing the the stuff with uh, Access TV with New Japan. Um, but I think it's for the benefit of wrestling overall. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. And, he knows uh, what's good for wrestling. He's a guy who brought in so many wrestlers. Yeah, I mean, he was the guy that really, like, he was the general manager, um, you know, for, for in many ways, uh, as the head of talent relations for the World Wrestling Federation. He was building the talent and the roster um, during the Monday Night Wars when they were getting killed, and he was signing guys like Steve Austin and Gold Dust yep. and Vader yep. and, you know, all these names and de helping develop the younger talent. He signed The Rock. You know, uh -huh. nobody thought that The Rock was going to amount to anything, and he saw something in him. So, I mean, he was one of the many that saw something in him. But JR, JR is a, uh, a guy that, you know, he gets looked at for his contributions in the booth and his calls, but he's also a guy that knows talent as well and yep. some someone that could be very viable to an organization in terms of uh, building a roster if that, if that opportunity were ever come for him. Yeah, there's plenty of rumors going around now, but we'll wait to see what happens. Oh, with um, with uh, the AEW All Elite with yeah Jericho, yeah. or no, I'm sorry, uh, the, the yeah. Cody and the Bucks and all. Even Jericho, I yep. think, got a, a part in that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it'd be cool. I mean, if he if he were to be a part of it, but at the same time, like, I look at I look at Jr. Like, I kind of like his role with WWE. They bring him in. They have him call either matches that could use the rub. Like he mm -hmm. called the Andre the Giant Battle Royal last year with the King on the WrestleMania. Right, that was show. a nice touch of nostalgia. Yeah, like people thought, like, oh, that's so low that they put Jr. on the kickoff show. Like, no, that's so cool that like they put Jr. on the kickoff show because they helped 
beef up the Andre the Giant Battle Royal with him calling it, you yep. know? Um, yep. Pro, pro, have him call a few NXT matches, uh, maybe even call a match with Undertaker at a WrestleMania or a SummerSlam or whatever the case may be. Um, he's like the John Madden of, uh, <laughs> of the WWE, and I think that that role suits him. But at the same time, if they were to bring him on and have him call you know, action for this rumored, you know, all elite wrestling with like Cody and all those guys. I, th I think that'd be pretty cool too. Him, him involved in wrestling is a good thing. The day he decides to Agreed. walk away and not do anything, then you know that's a sad day. But I don't think that's yes. gonna happen. I think he's gonna die at least being involved and 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 uh, you know active in the wrestling business. Not anytime soon, hopefully. Knock on yes, wood. By God, by God, by God Almighty. Uh, yeah. So oh, maybe I'll. I'll sp <laughs> Maybe I'll splice in some of our favorite little uh, little clips of, of JR. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I'm all for it. I'm all for it, yeah. Voice has welcomed millions of fans to the WWE on Monday nights for over a decade. We are live in New York City, and this is Monday Night Raw. You hear Jim Ross, you, you know you've got it on the right channel. You're watching the right program. Thank you so much, folks, for inviting us into your homes. Jim is like the John Madden of WWE. Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lover, would you live? Well, of course, we all know that good old JR has his own signature catchphrases. Shawn Michaels getting whipped like a gum and mule. He's running like a scalded dog. He's I like when Jim Ross says business is about to pick up here. One of the all-time classics has got to be the It's going to be a slobber knocker. A slobber knocker. Slobber knocker. Slobber knocker. Let the sports historians have the Giants win the pennant. I will take God is my winning. He is broken as the greatest sports call ever made. There is no one in the history of wrestling that's been able to call a big time main event match like jim ross and folks this is what our business is all about he just has that ability to connect with our fans jr makes you hurt makes you cry makes you yell you can tell that everything he says truly comes from his heart there's nobody that i would rather have called my match than jim ross Feel his passion for this business. The passion comes through because it's genuine. Where else can you feel this and be a part of something this special? His voice is plastered on so many great moments over the years. You can feel his emotion and you get caught up in his emotion. Cena has walked through hell. You can't contain it. The show-stopping spirit of Shawn Michaels lives. He's got an amazing gift. A lot of people are good, but very few people get great. He's great. Him doing announcing is what he was put on earth for. God, I love this job! I've often heard Jim say, you know, well, Gordon Soley was the best. And I'll look Jim Ross right in the eye and tell him, you're as good as Gordon Soley ever was. But there's just nobody better than Jim Ross. I'll the champion! Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Stone Cold! He's the best ever in the story. Moving on, uh, 1987. You want to talk about this Saturday night's main event? Yeah, from my hometown of Hartford, Connecticut. I was four years old. Didn't go to this show, but I watched it on TV. Right. The, the, now, what was interesting about this was that, like, um, 
And it was kind of cool because normally as a kid, you'd have to wait for the main event to be on at the end of the show. Well, the main event was on at the beginning of the show. They opened with Hogan the Norndorf <laughs> in the cage. Um <laughs> That's for the awesome. WWE I love championship. That. And I actually just found out recently on uh, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard that uh, the reason why they put those matches on first, they called those the TV main events because Saturday night's main event used to be on in the same time slot as Saturday Night Live when Saturday Night Live wouldn't air reruns. NBC yeah. put Saturday night's main event on. So they call it the TV main event, and they put that match on first because they knew that a lot of kids were staying up late to watch so they were obviously going to want to put the the most promoted match on first so that the kids were able to watch it and if the parents put them to bed at least the kids could say they, oh i got to see hulk hogan wrestle you know right. i'm going to bed you know what i mean because if you look at the if you look at the way this card was structured you had hogan and orndorf in the cage with that identical finish of um both guys' feet dropping on the floor at the same time. You had uh, the evil referee, Danny Davis, uh, claiming Orndorff the victor and the new World Wrestling Federation champion. You had Joey Morella, who was the, uh, the official of the match, who was the appointed official, I should say, of the match, saying that Hogan won. And then you had eventually the match restarted and the chaos ensue in the cage until Hogan finally won and came out the victor. Um, that to me, I remember as a kid, and they showed the two side-by-side -side videos with the timestamp and both Hogan and Orndorff coming out at the same time. Um, I've actually talked to some people that have been to that event and they said that by far and large, Orndorff was the clear-cut victor. Um, he had exited that wow. cage first, and they did a little video doctoring of that uh, of that match. But, um, yeah, that's probably one of my favorite matches of all time just because of that finish alone. At four years old, I thought that was so cool. I was like, oh, my God, they exited out at the same time. Like, did Hogan win? Did Orndorff win? Like, it was just a cool finish. I mean, it doesn't get, well, I, it doesn't get used enough, I think, in wrestling these days. Agreed. Or, or, or as well enough. Yes. Um, there, the good. I, I. There was a favorite one that I had of 2008, Jericho and Batista steel cage match on Raw. That happened. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic finish to that end. Um, it's it's much like, like uh, Jericho is punching his way off the cage and wins. Um, you know. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Um, so I'm I'm rewatching the Saturday Night's main event as you're telling me, and the way that they edited it. It, it, yeah, you're right. It's like it, you can tell that they had to uh, splice around to make Hogan look better. <laughs> yeah, they certainly did. I mean, you know, as they say, Hogan must pose. So, you know, they had yes, they had yes. to uh, they had to get that in. But um, yeah, I thought that was a lot of fun. And then, you know, this was obviously during the buildup of WrestleMania three. And uh, okay. so, you know, they were on to bigger things with Hogan. Um, but you had. Randy Savage uh, defending the Intercontinental Championship against George the Animal Steel, which would signal the return of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat later on in that match. Yep, he'd come make the save. Yeah, he'd come make the save. And, uh, you know, as Jesse Ventura would say, you know, Steamboat doesn't have a lot of heart, McMahon. He's got a lot of throat. And uh, right. Steamboat <laughs> brought his throat to the game and uh, saved George the Animal Steel. And then in turn, George saved Elizabeth. But, um, I'll yeah. never forget when I was watching this uh, the other night and I was you know, doing uh, some notes on this uh, this show. Um, Savage, man, back, I mean, 1987, this certainly wouldn't age well in today's wrestling world, but um, 
the uh, the the issue with Elizabeth and um, the way he spoke to her and the way that he treated her. He mm-hmm. was like, "You should have breathed, and I'll slap you in the face." And I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, like yeah. imagine like if you saw that today, like in WWE or just even and well, I mean, you do see women on male. Um, interactions in wrestling outside of WWE, but in WWE today, you would never, ever, ever see a guy yeah. threaten to, to to slap a woman across the face, and that was one of the things no, when I was a kid. Not, even... not post two thousand two. Oh, certainly not. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it was one of those uh, situations where I go back and I remember as a kid how much I loved Macho Man, but I didn't like the way he treated Elizabeth. And that was, I was like, I was very conflicted before Randy Savage turned into a good guy. When he was a bad guy, I thought that his voice was cool with, oh yeah, and you know, his his flashy robes. And, you know, I had a big crush Mm -hmm. on Miss Elizabeth as a young boy. My first, like, TV crush, my celebrity crush, I guess you could say. Um, I agree. I agree. uh, (laughs) Yeah, so I was like very, I felt like. You know, very conflicted. Like, like, why is he talking to her that way? That's Miss Elizabeth. Like, you know, and and then eventually when he became a good guy, like all, you know, all was right in the world. You know what I mean? Like, I, so what if Macho Man wants to slap the shit out of Elizabeth? That's fine. He's the Macho Man. You know what I mean? Not saying that that's right, by the way, for any of those feminists out there listening. I don't want you to think that like I promote domestic abuse towards women because I certainly don't. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm thinking maybe you need to make me a cheese sandwich. Snap into some domestic. Dave, going back real quick, uh, I, I was never like aware. I, I'm younger, uh-huh. so I guess more or less WrestleMania three was like the start of it all for me. Okay. Um, I, I okay. you know that that feud between Andre and Hogan is cemented as like the start of what I remember from wrestling. So yep. I kind of didn't grow up knowing who Paul Orndorff was. Cause I missed this little brief run that he had, um, at the top about two years too early, you know? Okay. Yeah. Um, so you were a Paul Orndorff like hater and you, you knew the guy who, of, of who he was. Yeah. Later I, in years. I started watching wrestling probably in like 86. Like, like I remember my first memory of watching wrestling was WrestleMania two. Um, from the, okay. from the video store, uh, so right. I knew who Orndorff was. I'd eventually watch WrestleMania one, um, you know, after following that, so I could see where it all came right. from with the main event with Hogan and T against Piper and Orndorff. But um, so I knew who Orndorff was. Um, I don't remember being aware that he turned on Hogan in '86 mm-hmm. that led to the, this big cage match on Saturday Night's main event. I don't remember that, um, but I've watched it in, in years. You know, years later, and I've talked with other people about it and how um, how uh, well executed the turn was and, yeah. and the storyline itself between him and him and Orndorff. Um, but yeah, yeah it really that, deserves that's, that's, its that's, place that's in wrestling. Um, yeah, it, it just really it, it just blew my mind when I was older, and then you know, following up on the WrestleManias and starting to build my knowledge more. I'm like, oh man, this. You know, this was like a this was a, a high note for Paul Orndorff. It was a very good run that he had uh, against Hogan here, 
and apparently they were killing the towns too that they went to. Yeah, I mean, I remember reading in, in uh, I think it was Hogan's book that he came out with a number of years ago where um, him and Orndorff would do double shots uh, on, mm-hmm. on live events because their business was live event based. Like you, your, your TV built to your live events, um, your, right. your non televised shows. So I mean. Um, you know that's that's what that's how their 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 business model was back in the day. Now it's just television and social media and and, and even the paper mm-hmm. used to an mm-hmm. extent. But um, Hogan and Orndorff used to do double shots where, um, depending on how far the two towns were, if it was like a weekend show, like a Friday or a Saturday, Hogan and Orndorff would work the middle of the card, whether it was a cage match or I think it was a cage match, and then they would. Um, they would work the middle of the show, then they would leave, and they would go dry or get up. Either they they get driven, or they would get on a plane, and they would go to the next town to work the main event of the double shot. Um, wow. Because they had like A towns and B towns. Because Hogan was so popular, and I've heard this from other people too, um, not just Hogan himself in his book, but uh, other people have said that you know Hogan was so popular and he was helping make that company so much money that people were fighting to work on the same cards Hogan was working because they knew they were going to make more money. Um, Right. So they ended up basically spreading Hulk Hogan very thin and, all right, you'll work the middle of the card in this show in the afternoon and then we'll fly you or drive you to the next town so you can work the main event. So um, the strategy was in the, in the first show in the afternoon, they would do some kind of convoluted finish where Hogan would still keep the belt, but mm-hmm. he didn't necessarily get the, get the victory over Orndorff. And then inter- they would have the match and then intermission, they would announce tickets going on sale for the next time they come to the same town with the rematch and then awesome. that, they would do that while hogan and orndorff are traveling to the next town to work the main event of, making of money, the second baby. show yeah i mean it was genius back then that back then it was like you were you were you were taking people's money it was ridiculous but um yeah, yeah that was a, that was fun that was fun for me as a kid um but with this episode of saturday night's main event and, and going back years later and watching it, I just found it interesting how they structured the show. But I understood why, because um, right. with the way that you know people, especially with young kids back then, watching TV. But he had you know Steamboat making the save for George Steele and Savage, JYD and Harley Race, which was really nothing to write yeah. home about. Then you had JYD gets gets to beat down Danny Davis there. Yeah, that was pretty get, fun. Make the, make the fans go home happy. Yeah. So little headbutt, wear the yeah. crown, you know, do the whole thing, pose. That was pretty cool. Piper and Adonis yeah. was a lot of fun. And then, of course, the main event of the evening, the match that, that everyone paid money <laughs> to see, the Battle of Texas, Black Jack Mulligan against Jimmy Jack Funk. What a barn burner that was. What a barn burner. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> they put this match on last? I would have I yeah. been okay with, like, Steamboat and Savage or Piper and Adonis, but they put on... Jimmy Jack Funk and the late great Blackjack Mulligan, the Battle of Texas in and, Hartford, Connecticut. Hey, <laughs> yeah, and hey, a female ref. Yes. What do you What do you know? That was interesting you know? too. Yeah, I remember. I don't know who her what her name was. I think I'm not sure if that's Mike. Mike McGurk. That was the ring announcer. No, Mike, yeah, Mike, Mike, Mike McGurk, McGurk was, was the ring announcer, the daughter of uh, okay. Leroy McGurk. Yeah, she was the ring announcer. Yeah. But no, I don't know who the referee was with that 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 sweet mullet she was rocking. Oh, she had a deep, yeah. deep mullet. Yeah, um, yeah. This was, this is a lot of like stalling, brawling, standing around, talking to the crowd. Yeah, this is one of those matches where 
I'm already ready to watch uh, Saturday morning's cartoons. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but overall, I thought the show yeah. was fun. And, um, you know, going back and remembering, you know, being a kid and, and watching Hogan and Orndorff and then the finish of the cage match, everything else was solid. Yeah. But, like, that, it was a one-match show for me. Yes, definitely, definitely. All right, uh, moving on. Do you want to do Nitro since that got the lower rating, and then we can do the higher rating? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We <laughs> of that yeah, night? we can go for it. Um, so two thousand. Yeah, from the Bylow Center in in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, this this episode was highlighted, or should I say, low lighted with the Lethal Lottery Tag Team Tournament to crown new WCW World Tag Team Champions. Um, <laughs> This was also highlighted by uh, WCW's executive committee announcing a new commissioner. Uh, the new NWO of uh, Kevin Nash, Bret Hart, Jeff Jarrett, and Scott Steiner were called in all kinds of chaos. Um, mm-hmm. Between uh, kidnapping Daphne and the, the NWO must have been out like eight times in this show. Um, there was so much that you couldn't even keep track of. There was each match averaged about like two and a half minutes, and the longest the marathon match was like five minutes and fifteen seconds. But Jeez. the pairings of these these teams were just like it was unreal. It was like and like I said, it was so hard to keep up with. You had Nash and Scott Steiner who were head and shoulders above the rest, the clear favorite and the most notable of all the teams. But you had Lash Larue and Midnight. Uh, if you remember who Midnight was, she was the yep. she was like the African American version of China. Um, yes. You had Buff Bagwell and Chris Champagne Canyon, but Canyon never made it into the match because Buff smashed him over the head with a uh, a, a champagne bottle. Uh, mm. So uh, Vampiro would take his place at one point. Um, you had <laughs> just a mess. Yeah, the Harris brothers were a part of this show. <laughs> all in all, the NWO came out. They beat them up. They threatened Terry Funk, who was announced as the commissioner. Terry Funk announced he's got an enforcer as a part of his 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 uh, regime, which would be Arn Anderson. Um, they made some matches for the sold out pay per view. They kidnapped Daphne and threatened David Flair. And then David Flair and Crowbar won the damn tournament. Um, it was just a freaking mess. And I'll be honest with you. Like, I remember as a kid, I didn't watch much WCW, uh, be, mainly because Raw was just better. Um, mm-hmm. And plus, I knew that, like, you, know, you could get the replay of Nitro on at 11 o'clock. But this was, like, the first episode they went back to two hours because they would do three hours, and the third hour is just nonsense, kind of like what yeah. Raw is today. But... Right. It was just overall. The whole show was a mess. There's run-ins everywhere. I mean, at one point you had, oh, this is you, you'll get a kick out of this. The opening match was the Harris Brothers against Mike Rotundo from the Varsity Club and Buzzkill, mm-hmm. and Buzzkill oh, was Brett. Buzzkill was Brad Armstrong, who which was a a ripoff of the Road Dog. Um, yeah, his brother. Yeah. It's, they, yeah, they did like like bootleg New Age outlaw music, and he came out and he kind of did the "Oh, you didn't know," and they put like fake dreadlocks in. It, it was fucking awful. I was like, "Oh my god!" Uh, I was like, "How am I going to trudge through this to take notes for 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 our show this week?" Holy cow! But yeah, it was just a mess. Like I can't even. Like I said, the only highlights really were it's like it, the NWO kind of causing chaos, but they were out way too many times. They they were out. Right. You know what I mean? Like. At one point, like, they had a scheduled match with PG-13, J.C. Ice, and Wolfie right. D, but they didn't really have the match because DDP laid him out with a couple of diamond cutters for no freaking reason other than they, they... Had to get his pop. Yeah, had to get yeah had to get his shine in, you know? And so what I, what I found interesting about that show was the way that clearly it was... 
and I'm no television writer, or I've never structured a television show, but I felt like there were some points in the show that they could have done things in different segments. Like, they waited probably till about, like, the first half hour to introduce Terry Funk, when maybe they should have done that at the top of the show and had his interaction with the NWO kind of be what gets the... the that keeps the flow going throughout the show because you saw the NWO come out and cut a promo. Then they come back from commercial break and then they announce Terry Funk as the commissioner. But then they come out and they, they talk to Terry Funk and they threaten his life and they threaten David Flair, who's, you know, the godson of Arn it's Anderson. Just trying to fill time. Oh, man, it was just like all over the place. You know what I mean? It was just way too much. Like, I just. And, and, and as a kid. I liked that NWO. I thought the NWO was kind of cool. You know, it was very... Oh, me too. Brett and Jarrett and Steiner and Hall and Nash and, like, that little elite group. I was like, okay, I can get behind this, you know, with the powers yeah, that be cool. and yeah. stuff like that. But it, this Nitro was just a mess. I I, I mean... Did did you play uh, WCW Revenge? Oh, uh, yeah. I was, for yeah, that was, 64? Oh, yeah. That was my... That was the, okay, that was the so, first video game I ever bought with my own money. Was that nice. game. So that game for me is where I would turn everybody NWO red or NWO white. So oh, yeah. I had quite a few people wearing those shirts. Everybody was in the <laughs> NWO in that video game, whether you were red yeah. or black, yeah, red or white, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just made me think about that. But, yeah, it, um, what a time. And, like, your rundown of Nitro sounds eerily similar to my – what i just watched on raw for the same night okay but it, it's like raw is more uh it makes more sense if if that if that makes sense it's more constructed yes it's that chaos but it's constructed chaos yes um so there's like there's eight matches on here none of them go over 10 minutes and only two of them go or three of them go over five minutes okay <laughs> So, yeah, and this is like when Stephanie and Triple H had just done the wedding. Yes. Uh, swerve, where Stip, where they, you know, beat up Test and everything, uh, and the McMahon-Helmsley era began. Yes. And here we are some 20-odd years later, 20 to be exact, and we're still kind of doing the thing. Um, yeah, so it, it, this is just like the, the beginning of it, so they're all over the show. Um, Stephanie and Triple H show basically. He's the champion, and uh, we get them out first talking, and you know all the heat, and then The Rock is out there too for being home in Miami. Yes, The Rock is like over like Rover, and he's just standing and staring, doing nothing, and the people are going insane. You know, oh, like know. how over can you be in two thousand? That's The Rock over. Yeah. yeah. Um, then we have Dudley Boys beating Too Cool in like a three-minute DQ match where you get some other tag teams involved, and it was just a mess. Mean Street uh, Posse, Posse, APA, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so another mess. Was Russo moonlighting that night? Holy cow. Uh, I believe, yeah, he must have been. <laughs> so then we also get another mess of a match, Kurt Angle defeating Kane with Tori out there. Um, three and a half minutes long, but yeah. Uh, again, this is like controlled chaos. And then they keep flashing back to Triple H and Stephanie backstage um, because Mick Foley had just been fired. Uh, so, yeah, they're playing off of this and they're doing a lot of backstage skits and uh, pre-recorded skits with Triple H. He, he loves those, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely for sure. <laughs> and then this is an interesting one. China 
has to go against Hardcore Holly because her and Chris Jericho are declared co-intercontinental champions. Uh, that was made by Stephanie McMahon. Uh, kind of odd if you think about the real life story going on right now. Oh um, yeah. In that time period of 2000. Oh yeah. This is a this is an interesting little angle that they have here with China and Stephanie McMahon. Yeah, it was a. Uh, it... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I felt like as I remember back then, 19 years ago, that when they did the Stephanie Triple H stuff, I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. But like China and Triple H on TV never really had like an official breakup. You know what I mean? Like back then, like that was very rare. Back then, like if a team or allies or whatever the case may be, if they were split apart, they made sure that they they had a reason to split them apart. This one was like, China went to do her own thing, Triple H went to do his own thing, and then he ended up marrying the boss's daughter, and they never really spoke of that. But but then he brings in DX, who she was an original member of. Yeah. And then she has nothing to do with it, you know? It's, yeah, you can just tell they were kind of trying to shoo her out, um of the picture which yeah i was fine with because i kind of said to you on last week's show like i wasn't the biggest fan of china to begin with um especially in dx like i I made mention of i just didn't i didn't see it fit i i wasn't it just it didn't work for me i i may be in the minority um and and i may get lynched by by many wrestling fans and if that's the case i can (laughs) i I can give it all back to you okay As, as good as i am with my my memory with the history of pro wrestling i'm pretty good at talking shit too so if anybody's got a problem with it i have no problem going back and forth with you and telling you why your yeah. opinion doesn't fucking matter to me but yeah, <laughs> the, yeah the... i love i loved her like dominating terry uh in the gold dust feud with you oh, know yes, triple h yes, yeah. oh, he... that's 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 good china right there yeah um being the muscle yes and then when she did have that intercontinental championship run and she was in playboy i was like oh cool china uh, and into her for about two months, and then that was it. Yeah. 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 So uh, moving on the card here, Triple H defeats the Big Show uh, to win the WWF Championship in seven minutes. <laughs> I know. That's... Big Show's the champion in this match, and it's just, uh, yeah. It's it's Triple H's night here. Oh, well, I you mean, can tell it, he's, he's got the book. Yeah, it's, it, well, it had been his – if you think about it, it – Raw had been his show for a number of months. Um, and yes. it was really his show when Austin was out with that in, with that neck injury, when they wrote him off oh. the storylines. Yep. And I was, I'll be honest with you, man, when I was a kid, um, I, as much as I loved Steve Austin, they had so much depth on the talent chart that I didn't feel like that he, he was needed. He was missed to the point yes. where like, Things got they they were helping develop guys and get guys over and they were really establishing themselves as a dominant force on television. That then it got to a point where it was like, oh, I can't wait for Austin to come back. He's gonna mix it up with Kurt Angle and Chris Jericho yep. and this new Triple H and you know yeah. I was like, this is gonna be cool. But during this time period, um, I was I. I like I said, I didn't. I wouldn't necessarily. I say I didn't miss Austin, but Austin, uh, he, he he didn't. It didn't affect me when he was gone. You know, because right. Triple H and his character development was so good, so good mm-hmm. that like. And this look, was such a good run for him. This, this is, is probably his best tra- run, I mean, in my opinion, in the yep. history of his career. Yep. And people may yes. argue. People can argue that all you want, but you know, to me, I felt like he was at he he peaked. 
during this point, and he mm-hmm. and he was young too. You know, it wasn't like yeah. you know, this is 19 years ago. He's almost 50 now. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was wild. Like he looks, him and Stephanie look like a young hot couple here. I mean, they are. Oh yeah. You know, but yeah. yeah. But it was, um, it was overall. It was, so he it was good. Yeah, and crowning moment is in the middle of Raw. He gets the championship. But, you know, for booking reasons, they had to do it that way. Um, And, you know, also, again, real life and backstage, Triple H is starting to write and get more creative control of the show. Uh So Big Show is going down the card after this. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I've always heard stories of people didn't really like that he came in when he did to WWF. Um, and I remember Big Show talking about he was kind of isolated by himself for a little bit, mm-hmm. being there at first. Yeah, I've heard some You know, stuff. that transition coming from WCW. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard stuff like that, too, where he didn't really endear himself very well to, to, to the guys in the locker room because he, yep. he was so young and, you know, he was thrust into the, the, to the spotlight in WCW. It's such, a, it's, a, it's such a young age. Yeah, your first match, you win the title against Hulk Hogan. Yeah. So, I mean, he he didn't really mature, so he kind of had to learn. From what I've heard, you know, through interviews with him and other guys that have spoken publicly about it, he's, he, it was, there was definitely some growing pains for Big Show during his time in the, uh, in the, in the WWF. Yeah, one of his, uh, one of his only title runs, one of his only title runs here came to an end. And, uh, moving on the card, Prince Albert and Big Boss Man defeating Man Test. And May Young and Fabulous Moon in a two-on, <laughs> in a three-on-two handicap intergender match. Uh, oh May Young, goodness. May Young gets the fucking Bronco Buster on <sighs> Big Boss Man. It looks terrible, but this, again, Tess was a guy that had so much promise. Uh, at least for me as a kid, I was a big Tess guy, and Triple H turning and doing that whole swerve. I was, I was a Triple H guy too, so I was like, oh shit, I gotta pick a side. Um, and I always liked the villain, so I was a Triple H guy, but now looking back at it, they buried the hell out of Test after this. Yes. He got a broken nose, yes. he got jumped week after week on TV, and now he's with two of the oldest wrestlers on the roster, Mae Young and Fabulous Moolah, mind you, going against Prince Albert and Big Boss Man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. They didn't really, um... I felt like the follow-up for Test was pretty poor. If anything, like the him getting left at the altar could have made him one of the biggest baby faces of all time. If they Dude, if they right, followed up with right? him, and they didn't do it, and it was yep. and to me, like this is where like I this is where I can be conflicted as a fan at some t- uh, sometimes where, and I hate to use all that insider term with you know Barry and putting over and this that and the other. Sometimes mm-hmm, it's just mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't fit. But I think in this case it does. Like I felt like he was buried, and I felt like even as a fan that back back then in nineteen you know late nineteen ninety nine early two thousand when when they when they just kind of discarded him after yeah. Um, after it was and revealed they, that they like were like put him down to the European title. Yeah. yeah, like I just felt like I I honestly thought like he was gonna march to WrestleMania. Not say he was gonna wrestle Triple H for the title by any stretch no. of the imagination, but I thought that he was gonna be in the mix with those DX guys. Like maybe he was gonna be like Kane's tag team right. partner against them or something like right. that. You know? At I least think, a bigger at least a bigger 
picture. Yeah, and, you know, a, a much better role for him. You know, but I, that's yes. that's what I thought. And when they kind of moved him to like the hardcore title with like Boss Man, and I was like, I didn't. I don't know. I just I, I tried to relate in like real life terms with his character. Like even as a teenager, I was like, man. If some dude stole my girl and <laughs> that bitch left me at the altar, yeah. I wouldn't yeah. be forgetting about that. I wouldn't be going to try yeah. to take a fight with someone else. You know what I mean? Like, I'd want right, to do everything exactly. I can to, like, rip their heads off and make their lives miserable until I get some sort of satisfaction out of it. And I felt like uh, his character just ignored that. Like, he got beat up by DX one yeah. night, and that was the end of it. And then next week, he's fighting Big Boss Man and Prince Albert. I just thought it was kind of silly. Yeah, he's like, I got, I got to team up with Mae Young and Fabulous Moolah now. Get yeah. my revenge. Yeah. Like, I just thought, like, uh, she left yeah. you at the altar. What the fuck, man? Like, do something about it. Yeah. Don't be a pussy, you know? <laughs> I agree. I had the same feeling. Yeah. Um, and, and, dude, one of, uh, just going off a little topic here on test, one of my favorite matches ever is him and Brock Lesnar, King of the Ring 2002. That is just one of the best Hoss back and forth like quick matches that you'll ever see. It's awesome. Dude, you want to hear something interesting? Highly recommend that one. You want to hear something interesting? Hi- highly recommend that when match. When it comes to that match, I remember um, I went to a buddy's house to watch that pay-per-view. Him and I would kind of go back and forth. We would alternate like who ordered mm-hmm. the pay-per-views and we'd record it and tape it and make copies yeah. for each other and stuff like that because we tried to build our own WWE network, you know, 16, 17 years ago yeah. with all of our VHSs. <laughs> and... Um, so uh no it's true we did like i swear to god i'm not gonna lie no i'm just thinking i'm just thinking of the garage that would hold all the time i had like like rubbermaid tupperware boxes and shelves and bookcases of vhs like i was like i honestly thought as a kid like i could make like a side business out of like copying tapes and then doing like a little tape trader (laughs) thing online but i never really progressed with it but um yeah so we had we we had uh he he ordered king of the ring that year and I was working in the restaurant business and I wasn't able to get there for the start of the show. So I called him and this was before text messaging was even a thing. And I called him and yeah. I said, uh, what match are we on? He was like, well, you ju-, he goes, surprisingly, you just missed a really good match with test and Brock Lesnar. I said, all right, I'll be over in like 15 minutes. And so I watched the rest of the pay-per-view and throughout the pay-per-view, he was like, yeah, man, you, you're not going to believe what they, this match they had. Like it, th- he goes, it's sad to say this, but test and Brock Lesnar has been the best match to whole night like i don't you know right like so i was like all right so when it's over we'll just go back and watch it so pay-per-view's over like i said that show was really nothing home to you know nothing to write home about and we put it on right and i was like damn you're not kidding dude these guys are these guys are tearing it up you know and i and you would never expect that because those two guys never cross paths and you never look at them as two guys that were really just gonna you know steal the show and i thought between that match and the rvd and jericho match those two were the best matches of the night on that card i agree but yeah that, agree. That, it's um, funny you say that man it's like that test match like that's one of my that's that's one if, if there's a favorite of t- test matches if i can go through the rolodex of Test's greatest <laughs> hits that match with brock lesnar in 2002 is one of them yeah man uh definitely a big highlight there for him and uh just helping brock lesnar and looking so good um again just another sad story but Moving on with nostalgia, the Acolytes, APA, they fight Mean Street Posse to a no contest. This was nothing. This was just, again, controlled chaos. Then, randomly in the middle of the card, I guess they're calling back to Orndorff and Hogan, we get a steel cage match. 
<laughs> it's Al Snow against Jeff Hardy. Oh, my. Yeah, not the type of steel cage match that is uh, memorable as the other ones. Six minutes and 45 seconds here, and Jeff Hardy wins. Was, but, it, uh, was yeah. there, I don't remember, was there any, so there was really nothing spectacular? He didn't do any like, crazy bumps or spots or anything like that? Swanton. Uh, Swanton from the cage. Uh, we get some rough falling, you know, a lot of chair stuff going on. Again, it, and then we get Matt Hardy on the outside taking a bump to the uh, the mat pretty hard. You can tell why he's having trouble walking now. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just uh, it was just a mess. Nothing, nothing like the steel cage match that we spoke of earlier. Uh, two totally different steel cage matches. Yeah, I mean. I remember during that time period, you know, they would put all kinds of crazy gimmick matches on, on, on Raw Weekly, and, you know, I thought it was... Yeah, do you remember Jeff Hardy and Undertaker ladder match? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Like, that was good. That was great. Yeah, that was uh, a solid match. Memorable moment, you know? The storytelling was, was, was better than the, the, uh, the, the particulars in terms of, like, the ladder spots, you know what I mean? Correct, but a, but a good way to use the gimmick rather than just throwing it out there like they did on this card. Yeah. But um, um, what else yeah. we got on this Raw, this, this this clunky version of Monday Night Raw from January the 3rd, 2000? Like I said, I feel like Russo was moonlighting between, yeah, between the, Miami and Green, Greenville, South Carolina. <laughs> the main event, we got Triple H and China coming out. And you know Triple H is not an alcohol drinker, so he takes a swig of champagne and spits it all out immediately. Um you know, building on his spitting out of bottles gimmick. And uh, him and Stephanie introduced the rest of DX, heel DX. This is uh, authority DX right now. Um, Road Dog, Billy Gunn come out with X-Pac, and they have to take on The Rock. And if The Rock loses, he's fired. There's a lot of drama here. This is another one where Jim Ross is just giving it at all, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I thought this was a good story, and uh, I liked how they, this was kind of like the hook in the beginning of the show to really get you, uh, you know, set for the main event. And it, yep, because I the felt, Rock will be fired. Yeah, in his hometown of Miami. How, how, how the hell are you gonna get fired in your hometown of Miami? But, well, they just fired Mick Foley. Yes, you know. Yes, they did. Which was, um, I, I, I felt like it was at that point, like. When Austin left, they were kind of in a lull period where they were trying to figure some things out. But like when the wedding happened and Hunter and Steph reunite, you know, became a union and then eventually, you know, wreaking havoc all over Raw. Um, mm -hmm. I thought that's when like that was the point in time where I was like, it didn't take me very long when Austin left and that to happen for me to be like, all right, things are picking up again. Because when Austin left, I was like, man, what are they going to do? You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you got The Rock, yep. and he's great, and you got Triple H. Like, he's cool, too. But, like, man, you got Stone, Stone Cold's not going to be there. And they, they, yep. they picked it up real quickly. But I thought this was a, excuse me, a nice touch to, uh, to, to add more heat to the uh, McMahon-Helmsley era and including The Rock in this. And you kind of really saw the seeds of where they were going for, uh, yeah. for, for WrestleMania at that point. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then you get Mick Foley coming out with a huge pop surprise to uh interfere in the match and use a chair on dx and uh help rock you know win the match yeah that was a lot of fun yeah and that was i think the point where um 
you know, you, you were you were seeing where they were going to go with the rumble in terms of like, mm-hmm. you know, Foley getting fired and then eventually he would transform um, into Cactus Jack, which, which we will discuss um, at length on next week's show for our marking out the days, January the 10th. But yeah, yes. this, this was um, this was a lot of fun with the, at the end of this this show. I, I wouldn't say there was a whole lot of greatness in between, uh, but you had you know a good open with with Hunter and Rock and, and really establishing what was set to come for that evening. And then you know the title match was okay. Like you said, they kind of had to put the belt on Hunter. And then at the end, mm-hmm. you had Rock and and, and and DX and and the handicap match and Foley returned, and you really helped uh, facilitate where things were headed for Royal Rumble. So, I mean, I would definitely say it was the better of the two between that and Nitro. Um, yes, you know, definitely you, agree. Yeah. And it nearly doubled in ratings. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, crazy. Yeah. I, I, and just to think that there were, shit, 10 million wrestling fans watching two different wrestling programs. At, you know? I know. Now they can't get at two that... million on, on one wrestling program. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's crazy. Exactly. Yeah. But yet it's, it's, it's at the height of its popularity. Yeah. Um, again, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, well, yeah, so we clearly get two different dynamics of where the companies are going, and you can tell which one's failing and which one is sailing. Um, yeah, it's it's, creat- it's crazy to look back at this stuff, and I, I, I love it, and once again, I appreciate being here with you every week. Yeah, man, thank you. This is a lot of fun, and this is exactly, you know, like I've told you in private, you know, this is how I kind of envisioned where I want to take my podcast, and and, and yep. it's so cool that, you know, we get to collaborate and do this together and, and discuss things on a weekly basis, and uh, yeah, man, it's, like I said, only good things go from here. Yes, exactly. So um, all the good things can be found at Retromania on Facebook, at Retromania Pod on the Twitter, or you can write to us at RetromaniaPodcast at gmail.com. We're always on MoholRadio.com, and we have Hulkamania is Dead and this show Marking Out the Days. And as always, you can find Dave and Kicking Out at 2 at... Go on, Dave. You want to give him the rundown? Facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two. Hit that like button if you have not already. If you have, tell a friend who loves retro pro wrestling throwback banter, as only Kobe and I can give it to you. Tell them to hit the like button over there on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two. There's links to archive shows. There's all kinds of pictures and videos and discussions. Recently for the holidays, I posted some of the Christmas gifts that I got from my wife. Yeah, my wife, man. I'm my wife super jealous. Yeah, she definitely yeah. hooked me up. It was pretty cool. So uh, with the uh, the Hasbro figures, I got... Uh, uh, yeah, check them out on the page. Yeah, yeah check it out definitely. over on the page. And then uh, we're also on Twitter. The Twitter handle is at KickinOut2, K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T, and the number two. If you head on over there right now onto the, uh, both Twitter and Facebook, you can find a link for this week's show that posted, which is our Trading Places series from January the 4th, 1999. We cover WCW Nitro and the Finger Poke Doom. And WWF Raw's War with Mick Foley's very first title win. We play role reversals with both of those events. What if Mick Foley didn't win the world title? What if Hogan didn't finger poke Kevin Nash and he laid down and did the job for Hulkamania? You are going to find out all the what-if scenarios. My brother Justin joins me. We kick things off in the new year and kicking out it too. Thank you so much for being a part of it and having a lot of fun yep. with me. I look forward to it each and every week with you. And, uh, yeah, that's where you can find all the all the kicking out at two stuff. Be on the lookout for many more content. 
Join us next week, January 10th, where we'll be continuing to mark out the days on our calendar. Hashtag M-O-T-D. That's right. I already made it an acronym. Marking out the days. Um, yeah. You ready for next week, Dave? Yeah, man, I am. We got a lot of fun stuff planned. Uh, more raw nitro retrospectives from the year 2000. Uh, it was on this date in Jan- on January the 10th, 25 years ago, that Marty Jannetty and the 123 Kid won the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Championship from the Cocky Quebecers. Um, wow. What a, what a tag team there. Yeah. And then we also saw on this date 20 years ago, ECW Guilty as Charged 1999, highlighted by as and the franchise Shane Douglas for the ECW World Heavyweight title, plus current WWE superstar Tamina, the late great Grandmaster Sexay, and Buff Bagwell all share a birthday on January the 10th. We're going to get into all of that and Whoa, so much more it? next week on Marking Out the Days. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again, Dave. Thank you, brother. All right. See you.